Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here, and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast. A podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have on the show Jonathan Dutton, or as he is affectionately known by those who know him as JD from JD Consultancy. Now, we have a bit of an interesting twist today. We're actually talking about a case study, um, a case study of a business that JD worked with who initially thought they needed help with procurement, but eventually realized what they actually needed help with was exit. So it's an interesting story, I think particularly interesting uh, for our listeners out there who are business owners and perhaps trampling uh, some of the uh, tricky ground that goes with building and growing a business. Uh, And today we're really focusing on some of the issues that relate to revamping a business when you have exit in mind. So building a business from the perspective of making it something that has value at sale. So we look today at lots of different areas around cost cutting, consolidating businesses. We look at the concept of recurring revenue um, and revenue sources, types of revenue uh, and how they might impact value at sale. And we're looking at all of this from the context of some of the mistakes that business owners often make when they're growing their business. So without further ado, let's chat to JD. JD, welcome on to the podcast. We're so excited to have you here today. Thank you very much indeed. That's very kind. Great. Okay. So today um, is a bit of an interesting uh, change of gear to to some of the um, ways and discussions that we usually have on this podcast. Today, we're really talking about a case study. And I think it's a really good case study because I think it's an example of what is happening in the real world of business right now, over and over and over and over again in SME land. So um, so uh, before we get into our case study, maybe just give us a little bit of your background, JD, so everyone knows who they're listening to and, and has a bit of context to set this up. Well, I, I'm very old, so I've done lots of things, Joe. And, uh, <laughs> after, after more than 30 years in business, I've squeezed a few things in. I started as a, a career in procurement, professional procurement, which is a great broad-based business education. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my bosses thought it was a great idea to put a buyer in charge of the sales team. So mm-hmm. I became head of corporate sales of that company, moved to another company as head of corporate sales. And uh, all salespeople want to work in marketing because they always think they don't do anything, go for long lunches and get paid more. So uh, I joined the queue and ended up in marketing. I was marketing director for two public companies in London. And uh, then quite by accident, ended up as a COO of a, of a peak body for marketing, uh, the global peak body for marketing in London. And uh, and then was asked to to start the peak body for procurement, my first career, uh, here in Australia for this region. I did that for nearly 10 years and it became the 250th largest charity in Australia. And after I left six years ago, I started working with myself as an independent management consultant, uh, facilitator, helper, dog's body, presenter, keynote speaker, MC, and uh, 
what do you need doing? Uh, <laughs> everything I do has got something to do with procurement or the supply side of business. Uh, although I guess fundamentally I'm a sales and marketing support expert, really. It's a really interesting combination you've got there. I mean, I guess on both sides of the um, of the procurement coin, uh, which is interesting because we're talking about M and A today, which is a, another <laughs> another interesting uh, uh, area, I guess, to add to your uh, toolkit to there. But it's that's a really varied, very varied, uh, you know, background you're talking about here. Well, it is, and, and, and fundamentally, I've spent 35 years really either as a buyer or a seller. Yeah, uh, yeah That's the nature yeah, of business, yeah. isn't it? That's yeah, what business it does, it buys in it itself. Is. And, and I, I always Absolutely. thought if you could do both, you, you'd, you'd be able to offer anybody something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's worked out like that. I, I, I anyway, and I've enjoyed it. And, uh, I, I accidentally got involved in M&A because it's normal business, Joe. Uh, yeah. You know, couple of big companies I work for, major major blue chip corporates. Uh, I was, you know, the, the small guy on the team at the back helping out with a couple of major acquisitions. And uh, and then in the small business land, SME land, uh, as you call it, uh, quite rightly, um, you know, of course, many SME uh, owners and entrepreneurs want an exit path. Yeah. They feel their business is worth something, um, but they don't quite know how to value it. And they yeah. don't quite know how to position it for sale. Um, and, and what's the rest of value on? And uh, and I think even before you get to that stage, a lot of them are confused about what they want. It seems to me a lot of them are great SME subject matter experts rather than small medium business experts. Uh, and what tires them, uh, what burns them out is business management day to day, learning yeah. to be a good manager, uh, manage cost and and uh, the pressure of making the sales about making payroll this month. Uh, and and the ones I've worked with, that's what wears them down. Uh, they're in love with their business, in love with their subject matter, uh, and still are. Um, what they're looking for is is release from what they became, a professional mm. manager. They never mm. set out to be that. Uh, mm. And for me, that was a, a common theme in the ones I've worked. And I've done about, uh, I think, uh, four or five uh, successful acquisitions in the last three or four years and, and a couple ongoing. Mm. And, um, and, and, and that's a common theme, I feel. Mm. So let's, let's talk then about this um particular case study today of the business who came to you for procurement advice initially was that right that that's where they started this is such a fascinating story I just love the train of where we're about to go here um <laughs> so I'm not giving it away but there's it's, a happy ending, not the ending yeah. Yeah. <laughs> stay to, to the end of the story where this started was was they had a really tough year in 2012 a lot of people did we were running up to that election carbon tax had come out the yeah. economy had lost confidence everybody was sat on the hands people had slashed their secondary budgets uh, businesses weren't spending, were investing. Uh, and most consultancy business really suffered 2012. And uh, the one I was working closely with at the time did. And these people um, uh, you know, rang me and they were keen on doing far more work on the supply side. They saw it as a, a potentially uh, a good market for their, their product, their services in consultancy, their subject. And, and I thought so too. And uh, they wanted me to, to help give them access to, to our profession, procurement and supply. Uh, and being, you know, CEO of the peak body for nearly 10 years, I'm fairly well connected in that world, the, buy the buyers. So um, that was the idea and, and building the content to help the marketing into that new market. Uh, but what I found was, you know, a, a fairly confused uh, bit of thinking. Well, they, were, they were almost trying to grow out of desperation into a new market because they were saddled with this cost base. 
And what the truth of it was, they'd been set up for the last two or three years for growth. And they'd done well, 2009, 2010, 2011 wasn't too bad. And they were growing well. And they'd over-invested. Um, big office, lots of empty chairs, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put money in marketing. They had three companies for three products, which seemed a bit odd to me at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they were set up for growth. And that growth had, had basically collapsed with 2012. And, they, yeah. you know, they, they were feeling the pressure of the cost base. And they wanted their answer was, as always, you get out your own soft matrix, don't you? Uh, new markets, new products. And uh, they thought, well, there's nothing wrong with our products. Let's go for new markets. And uh, JD, he knows everybody in procurement. He can help. And and that's where the conversation started. Mm, right. Okay. So so they they think their their need at the time is for someone to uh, help them on the procurement side. So in you come. And what happened next? <laughs> well, it, 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 uh, the first thing I obviously noticed was was that they were saddled with the cost base uh, yeah. and they were trying to set sales targets to cover the cost base. Mm. Um, and, and I think someone had to, to give them the confidence to address the elephant in the room, which was you've got you're running three companies uh, for three products um, that, that you, you, you are in the process of letting two or three people go. Your, your sales are a drop. Uh, you, you've got a big, impressive office you paid for a fit out for. Mm. It's got to go. And, and that was a painful three months and take some painful decisions when you've invested and spent your own good money building a nice new office, an impressive facility, hiring good staff. And, and then all of a sudden, you've got to cut your cloth uh, and leave the office and, and took that as an opportunity uh, to consolidate the three businesses into one. I mean, there's a real cost to running three companies. Uh, when you know you could simply run one with three products. So at, at this point, they didn't have in their mind yet that they wanted to exit. They were just cost cutting at this point. They were they needed encouragement to, to grasp the nettle. They were still clinging to the idea that uh, there'd be a saviour who could point them to a new market and sales would come. Sales will come. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's an old adage, isn't it, on the bell curve? When you when you look at the bell curve of the business life cycle, you don't know you're on the down curve until you're halfway down it. Yeah, you still feel you're at the 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 apex of the curve. You can you can get that growth going again. Okay, great. And and so what happened next? Well, very quickly, the the conversation about exit started. I think she 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 rocked back in a chair, threw her hands up, and said, "I only could get out of this mess." And I said, "Well, is that the aim?" And uh, of course, she said, "Well, it wouldn't be wonderful, but I don't see we can sell a business. What's it worth, and who'd buy it?" Yeah. And the conversation. So, well, if that's the real objective, let's talk about that. And uh, yes. I think you've got something of value. Uh, the question is, how you value it, how you substantiate that value, and how you find a buyer. Um, but, uh, you know, with, with a difficult year immediately behind you, that, that's tough, isn't it, to sell? So we have to start from there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and these things that you're talking about, I think these are, I mean, number one, the, the, um, the energy and the enthusiasm of business owners as they're in growth is really alive and real. But then when, when market hits, stuff starts getting hard, you know, sometimes it's just like burnout hits, right? And it's oh, and, and and but it's just right at that point that is the worst time to exit <laughs> in many instances, right? Um, and because what's happened in reality, Joe, is people who are subject matter experts and in love with their subject, their passion for their subject, um, are dragged off that, uh, and they're forced to become professional managers, and they never signed up for that. They didn't want to be that. In a lot of cases, they're not trained for that, and they've got to learn a lot of new stuff. They've got to learn about accounts. They've got to learn about 
people management. They've got to learn about finance. They've got to yeah. learn about property. In, in this case, as well, super, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and how to how to put a sales and marketing strategy together and build value in a business. And uh, and it's, it was almost immaterial what the business was about. Yeah. And um, both the two people running the business were, were great, sort of respected subject matter experts. You know, uh, nationally, internationally respected. Uh, the principal. Um, she's very well known in her subjects and, and much sought after overseas. But we had to cut out some of the, the nice work, which didn't pay much, <laughs> for, yeah. for the work that really did. And, of course, she became a professional manager, and that's what she didn't want to be. Yeah. And, uh, and that conversation early on um, enabled us to take hard decisions on costs fairly quickly, um, spend six months writing the ship, as it were, and getting the cost base fixed at a lower level consolidate and unify the three companies into one, uh, exit the premises that were bought and, and take the pain of keeping the, the fit-out loan, uh, and then finding new premises. And at the time, uh, early 2013, there was a lot of property in Docklands, uh, lots of advantages to moving there, uh, certainly cost-wise and quality-wise, uh, although we're at the end of the tram tracks in Windy City. Uh, and that worked out really well for them. They found a uh, a building that was very suitable for their brand, um, matched it very well. And uh, and that was a very successful move. Uh, they were able to acquire the small property as well, which built immediately put an asset into the business. Mm. And and I guess just reflecting back on, on this journey, you know, that they've been on, uh, I guess what you were doing right here was helping them to work out what was what was going to drive value in their business at exit, given that they'd now identified this as something that they want to do? Is that right? You were you were Absolutely. working on the value drivers. And so if you reflect on those, what were the elements particularly that you thought would drive value for them or in, indeed was impeding their value at that point when you'd come in? First thing was to take that complexity out and put in a fixed cost base that looked very manageable and needed a simple target every month just to cover cost. Uh, and that you know, reduced the, the staff base by half to do that as well, uh, as right. well as the office, as well as the cost of running three companies uh, and some of the spurious costs that built up. So we got rid of all that. And that was the first thing. Secondly, we had to say, all right, what's, what's going to sell this business's track record? Three dots on a graph. That is, you know, this year, next year, year after, uh, tangible growth, uh, proven ability to bring cash in. Yeah. Uh, and what drove that in part was, was customer contracts. Now, this was a, a modest consulting business, very specialist, uh, very good at what they did. Um, but uh, yeah, every gig was a new gig. Um, every sale yeah. had to be made every time. What we needed yeah. to do was bring recurring revenue in. Yeah. And so we invented a, a couple of new product streams or variants of what we were doing that brought recurring revenue guaranteed contracts in future. Uh, and that helped shore up, um, you know, a revenue base that guaranteed pretty much the coverage of the cost base. So if you can get your recurring revenue every month, guaranteed income coming down the line at you from the order book, then you've already got, um, you know, a, a workable a business model and then if you can you know put contracts on the table and say these are established customers that will continue to buy even when i'm not here then um, you know approving that is is, is part of the, uh, of the of the sale process i think mm. and we did build in uh, the, the property of course they'd acquired a small office property but um, it's a bit of a furphy that because when the final exit came that that remained with the owners as mm. an asset as part of the deal and effectively their super fund, but that was uh, something else. Uh, another factor in the marketing 
was Brand Association. So um, what I mean by that was we built in um, the partners, um, business development partners, channel partners, um, big brands, um, you know, NGOs, um, networks, um, associations, uh, people who respected the principal very much uh, for her subject matter expertise and uh, were happy to be associated with a small firm to do that. And, of course, that looks terribly impressive in a sale doc when you mm. say, well, you know, these big six brands are all partners and regular um, associates of ours, and we work with them often and uh, frequently. And, uh, and that added to the value uh, in an intangible way, for sure. Uh, but it, but it, it, it gave the buyer confidence that those contracts were there uh, and that capability was there. Mm. We also, um, of course, put in a new accounting system. So we, we moved off Excel <laughs> into zero. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we got a bookkeeper. <laughs> wow. Part time and, and set all that uh, professionally. Uh, we had an accounting firm as well that uh, set up the new chart of accounts and consolidated the three businesses into one. And, uh, and that made everything very transparent, very simple to manage, more cheaper to manage. And, uh, you know, bookkeeper was only working, I think, uh, six hours a week in the end. And that right. was for payroll of up to a dozen people. Um, and, um, you know, he had it pretty well pinned down. It was, it was a bit on autopilot, I suppose. Mm. Um, and uh, when they were only making, I don't know, 15, 20 sales a month, um, you know, the paperwork was, was pretty easy to keep up with, with a package like Zero or, or one of the equivalents would have been the same, I'm sure. So, um, you know, we, we were getting this business uh, on an even keel, if you like, and, mm. and minimizing the amount of direct management time that was needed in favor of the subject matter expertise, which was, was what was sought after, really. Uh, and that was the challenge. And I, I transitioned from sales and marketing coach uh, to become effectively the business coach pretty quickly and um, just to keep the business discipline um, to, to what would agree and keep the plan. Uh, and, and for me, and I think for them, it became all about three dots on a graph. If we can show three dots on a graph ascending at a reasonable yeah. growth curve uh, and build confidence into a buyer thinking, well, those contracts are going to keep coming in and those clients are going to stick with this firm, then, um, then that was part of it. We also set a target for, for staff retention. And uh, I say we were lucky, but it was well managed. She managed well to keep the staff who were, were great consultants, uh, very good people. Uh, but of course, you know, uh, a younger had <laughs> done very well. And, uh, you know, after three or four years, they were thinking, hmm, should be moving on, really. And uh, they'd certainly done a tour of duty. So, um, you know, keeping the staff was, was a, a key part of the sale process. And so how long were you readying the, the business for exit, would you say? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. And, yeah. and at the beginning of that process, well, the beginning of the process, obviously, you didn't even know that you were about to go be readying a business for sale because you thought you were there for something completely different. I thought, I thought it was there for something completely different. And, uh, <laughs> I was there to give them access to the supply side of business and help them sell their products to a new market. And, yeah. uh, and it seemed very relevant. I agreed that that topic um, is, is very relevant to the supply side of business, certainly is today, uh, since the new legislation came in. And, um, you know, it, that, that was prescient in, in many ways, uh, but, but, but wasn't really necessary. You know, they had good products and good markets existing. It's, uh, there were other factors in the way, I think. Yeah. And so, so, so then you went down this path for three and a half years. Did you at the beginning have in mind who the ideal buyer would be? Were, were you building this for sale to a particular person or organisation in mind? Um, I think the honest answer is we had an idea, but as, as we went through the journey, other, other opportunities arose. Yeah. Uh, an overseas buyer uh, joined the conversation mm. um, after year two. 
And, and we couldn't really have tangible, meaningful conversations until after year two, mm. uh, two dots on the graph. And uh, the third graph, uh, third dot on the graph, sorry, was, was really the proof of the, of the concept, if you like, um, mm. proof of offer. And, uh, and by then, it was fairly obvious to uh, we'd end up where we were. Um, so um, in the end, the, build, uh, the business was acquired by one of the, the big four. Right. Uh, that was by no means certain. And uh, I guess one of the uh, challenges of that process is that is they have their way of acquiring businesses and to yeah. degree, you have to fit in with their process. And it's a good process. It's well practiced. They've done it many times before. And, um, you know, it, it certainly eases the, the burden, the paperwork and the management burden on the, uh, uh, on the seller. Um, but uh, you have to fit in. And, um, and part of that process is, is who gets a job at what level and, um, and part of the business uh, buyout process or the earnout process. Um, and then, of course, um, you know, the, the, the KPIs that come with it, the targets that come with it. Mm. And how much now, how much in the middle and how much at the end. Mm. And, um, and the further you go down that path, the more spurious the, uh, uh, the formula gets. And was it a heavily weighted to an earnout the the entire sale component? Or well, I coached them from day one that that's where they were going to end up. So their mindset mm. come round to that a little bit. And mm. I guess after running your own business for whatever it was, 10, 12, 15 years, the last thing you want to do is become an employee with an earnout. Yeah. And being hands on performance managed, if you like, yeah, by someone you've never met. Yeah. Um, especially when you're an, an acknowledged industry expert. Um, but I um, mean, you know, that was part of the maturity the buyer needed to uh, to pin down uh, for mm. herself, uh, which she did, I think, very successfully. Mm. And, um, and and as part of that process, what came to light was that um, you know her, her true aim was to take her subject matter expertise one step further, perhaps into politics. And um, you know that that became her true ideal, I suppose. So mm. she built for herself light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. Um, don't, don't let me give the wrong impression. She's not begrudgingly working for the big four um, whilst she uh, watches the clock. Uh, she's certainly not doing that. Um, but she's certainly got a new vision of what she might achieve in her expert field, given an opportunity. That is so, so important. Um, and in many times uh, on this podcast, we talk about the importance of uh, sellers having a clear vision, understanding where they're going, why they're selling um, and what life looks after sale because, uh, you know, many owners are very uh, have spent many years completely integrated into this business <laughs> And then Absolutely. selling, you know, is is a little bit like taking one of their arms. <laughs> they realise afterwards, they think they want the arm gone, but uh, as it turns out, you know, it can be well, a uh, the, the analogy <laughs> I've heard many times is my baby, my baby, the yeah. business is my baby. And uh, yeah. of course, it was, it was more personal for them in a way. Her husband works the business well and he was keen to retire and uh, he had a, a long retire, large retirement agenda <laughs> um, and uh, he'd become uh, his hobby was professional management of the super fund, I think. And uh, he was keen to retire and, and opt out. He was not a subject matter expert. Um, so, um, you know, he was keen to, to do his own thing as well. And uh, so, so it was a win-win-win. It really was. Uh, everybody won out of this process, I think. Yep. They won out because... Um, I should say, I should say, except me, I was out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> but they won out because you had come in. They they'd had the the uh, good luck or fortune or foresight to bring someone in who, and obviously they didn't bring you in for what what you ended up providing them with. But but 
you provided them with a way that they could get to an exit that provided what they wanted at the end of the day when they didn't even clearly at the beginning they didn't even know what they wanted you know I think this is right but I think what they really did was right at the outset they had the maturity uh, and the common sense to realize the situation to stop clinging to to perhaps false hopes um, and and to listen to the questions I was asking they they didn't bring me in Uh, what we did was we had a conversation and asked questions they couldn't answer and and they were big enough and mature enough to, to accept that rather than, you know, fob you off and say, I know the answers, it's my business, nobody knows more about it than me. Yeah. A lot of people fall into the trap of thinking. And, and what were some of those questions? Like what's an example well, of those questions? An example was why or why? Uh, have we got three businesses? Why are we spending money on this? Do you realise that, you know, the percentage of income you're spending on that? <laughs> Does that sound right to you? you mm. know? And, um, and really having the, the, the maturity to face the truth that they're overinvested that they've been caught out by an economic dip. And that's the truth of it. And, uh, and that confronted them with economic realities that they had to, to wrestle down. And that's where, um, you know, the, the idea or the conversation started about exit around the same time. And, uh, mm. and they started to realise themselves what, what they wanted was not the burden of professional day-to-day management. Mm. Uh, and that's the irony. When your business grows to a certain point, You'll find this, Joe, when you're a very mm. successful business, you stop being a lawyer, you start being a professional managing director. That's right. Uh, whether you want to or not. Mm. And, and, the, and the test I think life gives us is you become only as good as you can teach yeah. uh, because you can't do everything mm. as the principal. You can't do everything. Once your business reaches a certain number of people of a certain size, you can't do everything. So you have to teach other people to do what you could do, what you can do, and in many cases, what you can't do. And, uh, and that's the challenge of it. Uh, and then you're faced with uh, the challenge of um, hiring people better than you. Um, and, and some people can't get over that. And they do, their alternative is to, to, to hire clones. Um, but no, that never works. You've got to hire people better than you um, at certain things. And then you, when you've got a strong team around you, your life's a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, and you can teach what you can do. Uh, but a lot of people don't want that life. You know, they're, they're in love with their passion. They're passionate. Uh, they're not in love with running a business. And I think that was the case here. Mm. And, uh, and recognising that was key. Uh, and then uh, once we'd uh, given ourselves or given them permission to have the conversation about what they really wanted, despite the millstone around the neck they saw at the minute, then that, that released us into, into putting a plan together. And I guess my role over three years was, was systematically viewing each bit of the business for efficiency and for alignment and then keeping that business discipline, three dots on the graph. And, uh, and when um, an enterprise came up or a great idea, as it always does uh, mm. in, a, in an entrepreneur's business, and, oh, why don't we just go overseas and do all that? And, <laughs> and I put it, oh, I'm serious, you know, big conference in, where, in Europe and we've yeah. been invited to Spain. We can turn it into a huge banjacks for weeks on end and and take half the team and, and I'm, I'm putting a price on that and saying well it's not just the cost it's actually the distraction and, and yeah. you're, you're leaving australia at peak business time here mm. there's three quarters in a year for marketing not four in australia we've got this huge gap in the calendar we've got a restructured financial year mm. um, and there's there's certain months which you effectively sell 60% of stock in three months of the year. And if you're not here for those three months closing sales, then, you know, the business will suffer. And it's about bringing business discipline and rigor uh, into that calendar. And uh, that's the role I was playing. Really. And so if, if you were then to reflect on this story, um, uh, this, this uh, I, I guess, this beginning to end 
case study that you were a, a critical part of, what would you say is the learning um, in it for business owners, business owners who perhaps are at that point now of that high level of growth or maybe coming towards that the end of that high high growth point and are starting to feel a bit fatigued? You know, what are the questions that you would put to them? What are some of the learnings that, that you think are useful for them to be considering? Well, you've got to, it's easy to say and difficult to do to have the confidence to, to ask the real questions and most importantly, be honest about the answers. Honest to yourself. Don't lie to yourself. You know, what do you really want and why? Mm. And a lot of people say, no, no, I don't really know what I want. I say, well, it's tough working out what you want. Um, but um, having the honesty to answer those confronting questions, you know, and, and stop clinging to, to false hopes, um, clutching your straws, you know, we will get sales, we will be able to make payroll um, yeah. this month, you know, and uh, it's not working like that. We've really got to take some tough decisions and, and get over the emotion of that. And if you like, be a little bit more dispassionate about how you're running the business to do the right thing ultimately uh, for, for everybody or most people, certainly. They're always tough um, when, when you've got to let people go. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, the, the truth is, you know, the business wouldn't survive had you not, you know, just mm. driven yourself into the ground. So, mm. um, you know, the advice for me is is to uh, ask the honest questions, but but answer them honestly and listen to yourself and, and listen to people who are asking difficult questions. Often when I ask a question of somebody, they, they can fob you off. And you, I see that they're lying to themselves. <laughs> mm. Oh, I know all about that. I know how to do this. We'll, we'll sort it all out. How hard can it be? We'll fix it, you know. And, and they haven't got the focus. They haven't got the honesty. And, and they haven't really got the background to be able to work out and keep the focus on what's important. And one of the difficulties for entrepreneurs, they get distracted so easily. And a line I use with them is, um, oh, you've got idea overload, haven't you? And they go, how, how do you know that? I say, well, <laughs> they all do. They, they, they've got 57 ideas. There's, I, they say, well, you don't know my business. How can you come in and have ideas that I've not had? I said, usually I can't. You know, you've yeah. been for 10 years. They're not an idea you've not had. Yeah, yeah. The problem is you're pursuing them all. Yeah, and it yeah. take five minutes. I'll just get it going over there. You're starting rabbits running all over the place. And mm. before you know, and this is a very common thing. There's 57 initiatives going on and nothing's actually getting done. Mm. And uh, you, you really, it sounds simple, but you really got to sit down and say, right, what's important and what we're we trying to do? And let's stick to that. And uh, and then the idea overload, we well, can do that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then, and obviously those questions in this particular instance led to actually exit sounds like a great idea <laughs> and mm-hmm. but my experience is actually um that when people suddenly have the insight of the possibility of exit it then becomes very hard for them to take the disciplined approach that you're talking about in this case study of sitting down and setting out the three-year plan or three-and-a-half-year plan um, and and working through in a disciplined way and not pulling the ripcord straight away because many business owners are, you know, they suddenly, particularly when they're at this worn-out phase post-growth, will hear, finally hear the words exit and then, and, you know, really they've only got 12 months left in them then. that That's it there, you, you know. And, and but, but then it's too late to properly ready it for sale in, in the way that it appears that you did with this business. So what would you say to, to that, uh, I guess? And, well, and how do we get in early enough? 
I, first thing I'll say is that's absolutely true. Uh, I think that's absolutely you've, you've got to dig deep and and you've got to um, you've got to really steal yourself um, to to carry on and. And and you say, well, it's only three years, yeah. And you've been in the business for nine, ten, eleven, twelve, or something. You know, it's it's of course as long again, sure. But um, this time we got it right. We're using all the knowledge we've got from the past to really consolidate into getting it right. And uh, uh, of course, when the numbers and the KPIs start coming right, and you can see the path, you can see the trajectory. You're absolutely right. Uh, impatience comes; it really does. Mm. And um, and like you say, they want to pull the rip cord and can't we just find a buyer tomorrow? You know, we've got two knots, isn't that enough? And I'm three mm. knots on the graph. And, and, I, and I, of course, I said, well, it's going to take us a year to, to find a, a buyer. And, um, you know, what we want is competitive tension. So preferably we want one, two or three interested parties. Um, and uh, maybe from different angles, because if they're all from the same sort of scenario, they might all draw the same conclusion. Um, and I'm pleased to say that's what we ended up with. We ended up with three different interests. One dropped out quickly, the other two kept going, and uh, one seemed to be dragging the feet. And, uh, and then they, of course, quickly came up and, and made the acquisition. And the others, uh, they seemed to be making uh, you know, haste early, and then they got stuck at a, an internal approval process. That often happens. Mm. And, uh, and, of course, the trick in negotiation is not to show your eagerness, not to show your eagerness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and really, you've got to be mature. You've got to steal yourself, and uh, and and these people did, uh, and I think they got rewarded for it. They they got a they got some money. They got to keep the the, the property as part of the super fund. Uh, the husband retired, and uh, the principal got to work in uh, the, the subject that she's so good at, and and almost exclusive. She's released from day to day business uh, management, and and the staff mm. all got um, shiny new jobs. Uh, yeah. With a rise, a great firm looks fabulous on the CVs, and 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 again they got released from a lot of the administrative burden that they were under uh, because of, uh, of course, the improved systems at mm. uh, at a big four firm. Mm. Uh, I think they lost one who, who didn't want to go and do it. The rest all did, and and most of them still there, and and forging a great career. Well, look, that I, I just love this story. It's been such a useful case study, I think, that's demonstrated a lot of really useful things to many business owners, I think, who are listening to this that will recognise just a little bit of themselves in elements of what we've talked about here. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Maybe you do, Joe. I don't. I'm, well, yeah, I'm not going to admit to any right here. It's it's far <laughs> too public, JD. Far too public. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, maybe but, maybe at wine o'clock you'll have this. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous! Look, um, thank you so much uh, for your time today. And so, so um, tell us if any of our listeners are looking to uh, connect with you. How do they go about doing it? And what is it that you do these days, JD, that you can assist them with? I do all sorts of things. Um, I'm a helpful guy, I suppose. Um, <laughs> um, look, um, my nature is sales and marketing. Uh, I've been in business for 35 years, 20 years in, in huge businesses. I was very, very lucky, very well trained. And, uh, and I've had the brutal reality in the last 15 years of working in very small businesses where we've, we've really been chasing organic growth. Uh, rather than acquisitive growth, which is yeah. the hardest growth, sweat equity, if you like. Yeah, yeah. So and that's what I do. Um, and most of what I do is something uh, relating to procurement, supply side, supply side management, or usually sales and marketing to the chief procurement officers of the top 500 companies in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, my website uh, tells you everything you want to know about me, jdconsultancy.com.au. You find me on LinkedIn easily enough, Jonathan Dutton, and uh, I'm, I'm not difficult to find. <laughs> well, Jenny, I just want to say a massive thank you to coming on to the podcast today. We have absolutely loved having you. 
You're very kind, Joan. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. Well, that's it for this episode of The Deal Room Podcast. If you'd like more information about this topic, then just head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com where you'll be able to contact JD. You'll be able to get details of how to contact JD. You'll just be able to click through to his company, JD Consultancy, or um, also click through to him on LinkedIn. There on our website, you'll also be able to find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. Here at Aspect Legal, we are all about driving successful and fast, easy deals. And we do this by using a five-step methodology. So if you are interested in getting some assistance, then it's really easy to get started. We have a free initial discussion just head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au and there you can get yourself a free chat with one of our legal eagles to get you on your way. Well, that's it. I really hope you enjoyed what you heard today. If you did, I'd love it if you could possibly pop over to Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player and leave us a review. And of course, don't forget to hit subscribe while you're there. That's it. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to The Deal Room Podcast, and I'm Joanna Oki. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. Deal Room.